Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. It's been another long road trip for the Thunder, but the team has taken strides in each game along the way. Nick and I are laying out the Thunder's biggest areas of improvement, plus recapping the team's big win over Portland on Monday. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. From Denver to Los Angeles to the Pacific Northwest, now the group is about to come to the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. It has been a long road trip for the Thunder midway here through January. And Nick, the Thunder has shown some impressive strides through each and every game that they played on this West Coast. Also shown a lot of professionalism, building those professional habits that Coach Dagnall wants to see for this young team. Impressive toughness and energy, Paris. This is the first time the Thunder has ever had two five-game road trips in the same month. And yet here the Thunder is on the third night, a uh, third game in four nights, second night of a back-to-back in Portland, and came up with a big-time performance, big win. But as you alluded, has really kind of taken steps forward throughout the road trip, did not play its best ball in Denver. Did not have a good first quarter against the Clippers. Ended up winning the rest of that game in quarters two through four uh, in the first matchup against the Clippers. Kind of had a similar performance against the Clippers in the second meeting. Came up short again, but just a little bit shorter. uh, Just an eight-point loss there. So uh, I think we're seeing strides, and not just on the scoreboard, but just with the way that the players are are coming into these moments, the way that they're adjusting to certain things, the physicality that they're showing. Uh, So Paris, I think there's a lot of good things to, to be proud of if you're a Thunder player. And I think it all really kind of set the stage for a really great game against Portland on Monday. Let's talk about this one, Gallo, because this was really, like you mentioned, there was a lot of things culminating up to this. It was a second night of a back-to-back, the fourth game in five nights. The Thunder was also without George Hill and still without Al Horford, who is back with his family at home after the birth of their daughter. But Gallo, there were a lot of things that could have just set the stage for maybe – a sloppy game, a low energy game, but that was not the case at all. As a matter of fact, it was probably one of the highest energy performances we've seen from the Thunder in this five-game West Coast road trip. Just from what I can remember, Paris, this is the best first quarter that the Thunder has had all season long. If you look at some of the overarching trends for this team so far, third quarters have been its best, first quarters have been its worst, and yet here comes the Thunder uh, again, having to fly from Los Angeles to Portland on Sunday night, and you're going into Portland, which is a tough place to play against a guy like Damian Lillard, who is as hot as can be, and you deliver the first punch. I think that that more than anything is a sign of the growth that uh, the incremental growth that maybe is not going to be just this one direct slope upwards, but you know, you're seeing that ability to tick forward. Uh, and so that was really encouraging that right off the bat, the Thunder was bringing the physicality to the game, being assertive, being decisive. Um, that really showed through in a guy like Darius Baisley, who was very, very confident and quick to make decisions with the ball in his hands. Yeah. Darius finished with 19 points on three of six shooting from three and We have to talk about the scoring here for this Thunder group because it was a little up and down in the the series against the Clippers. And in those first quarters, the Thunder combined over those two games 0 for 12 from the three-point line starting the game. And then the Thunder made six in the first quarter against Portland. And so you have this juxtaposition about how the team was able to generate shots and knock down those looks. And you got a great start from Darius who logged 10 points 
in that first quarter and really, like you said, being decisive. But what stood out to me about Darius's performance against Portland was that there was a lot of balance in the way that he was getting his shots, right? He had one made three-pointer, but he also had opportunities streaking out in transition like we've seen so much from Darius throughout his short NBA career so far. Just getting out ahead of the defense, sprinting in transition, getting open looks at the rim, but also putting the ball on the deck and finding ways to finish at the basket. I thought that was really encouraging to see from Darius. The straight line drives are what you want to see from him, that kind of north-south action. And when it's happening without hesitation, when he's not surveying the landscape. And and so he is like a, num- a number of these Thunder players who had opportunities to play better than they had earlier in the road trip. I think of a guy like Mike Muscala in LA, he goes one for nine from three in that second matchup. And he turns right back around and goes eight for 12. He told us before the game, Paris, that he wanted to get his legs more into his shot. Playing three games in four nights, getting your legs into anything, not going to be easy. And yet he knocks down a career high six threes. And the way he, and, and here's the other thing that sticks out about this, Gallo, is that Mike kept saying after every time that he really has a good shooting night, he always credits his teammates. And the way that Mike got his shots is really an indicator of the style that the Thunder was playing and the way that they want to play basketball. And that's by getting into the paint, generating a lot of confusion on the defensive end, and then kicking the ball out to open three-pointers. And Mike said that it's really just his job to knock down those shots because they have such willing passers and able drivers on that team. It just opens the floor up for guys like Mike Muscala and other shooters on this Thunder roster, like Lou Dort, who's really benefited from this as well, to knock down those open looks. Yeah, and that style of play, Paris, I think that's aspirational for where the Thunder wants to be long-term. And that if it can sort of establish this style of play with young players as they're maturing and blossoming, that that will be a foundation of how they will play. That random, unpredictable, all five guys can attack and create and generate scoring for one another, that that will only pay dividends down the line. And the interesting thing is the group that is really exemplifying that right now was the second unit. Um, And that's uh, guys that are sort of mismatched from a a variety of different places around the league heading into this season. A couple 19-year-olds in Teo Maladon and um, Alexei Pokashevsky. Teo started uh, the game against Portland uh, because of George Hill's injury, as you uh, mentioned, Paris. But that second unit, which I wrote a post-game story on, they did a really nice job of just rolling the ball out there. And Mark Dagnalt says, doesn't matter who brings it up, doesn't matter who playmakes, just get into it. In doing so, you play with that tempo and that pace. You beat the defense down the floor and, uh, and use that to your advantage. And Gallo, what stood out about the second unit, and I, I always love talking about the Thunder second unit. Uh, Isaiah Roby calls them the breakfast club, if you will, because a lot of the, of the players in that second unit are, are the people that don't necessarily get those solid, stable minutes per night. So they have to come in you know, in the mornings of practice days and play some extra minutes, get some three-on-three work. Um, and so Isaiah's always rooting for the breakfast club, he told us after the game. <laughs> <laughs> but what, stood, what stands out to me about the second unit is the incredible hustle that you will not see show up on a stat sheet. You, got, you guys like Kenny Hustle, who is leading the charge on that, getting these deflections, recovering loose balls, just keeping the ball alive on offensive rebounds, not necessarily even grabbing offensive rebounds, but making their presence known under the rim. And against a guy like Ennis Cantor with Portland, that's really critical. And it's still, even against a guy like Serge Ibaka with the Clippers, making your presence known in those sort of ways really 
does help tip the scales in your favor a little bit. And I really love the fact that 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 sort of hustle was was rewarded with a win against Portland. One thing just hit me, Paris. Isaiah Roby was born 13 years after the movie The Breakfast Club was even (laughs) released. And uh, we should note in that win over Portland, Isaiah was the oldest starter for the Thunder on the floor at 22 years old. Uh, It's one of the youngest starting lineups in NBA history. Uh, Thunder Communications put that out earlier today that that was definitely up there in the record books for one of the youngest lineups to ever start an NBA game. And yet it's not about age for this group at all. And Coach Dagnall talked about this after the game. It's you know, making sure that we establish the, the foundation that we want to set for this group and make sure that we're continuing to make steps forward through each and every game. And with the solid lineup that the Thunder put out there with Isaiah Roby, Teo Maladon, Shea Kildas-Alexander, and Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, I mean, that's a, that's a really solid group still. And they continued to make steps forward, even without George Hill and Al Horford in that lineup. They continued to move forward, and that's exactly what Coach Dagnall wants to see. One other layer from this game is I'd like to highlight Shea because he really did like one of those veteran game managing things that we see point guards do around the league where he spent kind of the whole first half just laying in wait for almost the entire first half. He had only taken one field goal attempt and he was just kind of surveying the landscape, figuring out how Portland was defending, getting other guys shots, making sure other guys had you know some rhythm in their jumpers. And then Final little flurry there at the end of the second quarter. Shea gets going offensively. He really puts the pressure on Portland. And then he surges in the second half to have a really, really nice conclusion to that game. Helped uh, solidify the win down the stretch by making some plays. He even had a, a nifty little layup that I'm not sure is in his layup arsenal that we talk about <laughs> all the time, Paris. We'll get to that in a little bit because there were a couple of plays in that Portland game that definitely raised a few eyebrows and was a little indicative of just how big the rim looked for the Thunder on Monday. But definitely, Shay. and to your point, Gallo, Portland put out a, a few different defensive looks throughout that game. They played a little zone here and there. They were trying to do a little matchup. They were obviously trying to protect the paint, knowing that the Thunder could get to the rim. And Shay analyzing all of that and, and still making sure that he could find his spots and shoot incredibly efficiently he was eight of 12 from the field and three of four from the three-point line like you said just lying in wait and making sure that he's generating those best shots it was it was a really great night for Shea for sure well that sets the stage for our make your case debate today for the best play out of that Portland game. There were a couple and Nick, you alluded to mine. So I'm going to talk about it because it it was easily my favorite um, because it was just so baffling for everybody who witnessed it. Even after watching the replay four or five times, I still could not figure out what happened. So here's what happened. Just, just a little rundown. Shea attacks the lane kind of midway through the third quarter, I would say. He attacks the lane and draws the attention of about three Portland defenders. He somehow loses the ball. Now, Carmelo Anthony was near the vicinity of the play, but I didn't necessarily see his hand jolt the ball free or anything like that. But somehow the ball goes careening through the air. But now on its way down, it grazes the middle of the square on the backboard and just falls through the hoop. 
I, I don't know how it happened, but it was a perfect indication of the way the, the Thunder was playing. The ball was just falling through the hoop. The face of Harry Giles, who's center for the Blazers, just said it all, which was this look of, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this guy made that? Like, how could that have happened? We've been trying to deal with this guy all night, and then this is not in his layup package. <laughs> <laughs> part of, it's part of his new layup arsenal. It's just yeah. crazy yeah. circus shots. And even Shay said after the game, I honestly don't even know what happened. It just yeah. but, Hey, we'll take the two points. I like what Chris Fisher said on uh, our Fox Sports Oklahoma broadcast that it was like when you're on the golf course and you shank a ball into the woods and yet somehow it bounces off the tree and right back into the <laughs> fairway. Uh, that's That was kind of what that was for Shea. And look, when you're feeling it and when you guys create their own luck and when Shea's attacking, he was being aggressive, getting downhill, good things are going to happen. Sometimes you're going to draw a foul. Sometimes you're going to kick the ball into the rim by accident. <laughs> A crazy, crazy play. That's my favorite one. All right, Gallagher. Yeah, okay. So we all, we talked earlier about, you know, Mike Mascala. He was feeling it. Um, had a great bounce back game. Had six threes, five of them in the first half. As the kids would say, he was in his bag. And he definitely <laughs> felt that when he got the ball on the left block and he went into this post-up move that we don't see from Mascala hardly at all. He was picking and popping he was trailing he was standing in the corner yet then we saw mike on the left block posting up and he went to <laughs> this nifty footwork one-legged fadeaway and it was like a dirk nowitzki shot from mike Mascala. nailed it sga darius basley they were on the bench they were absolutely loving it screaming out onto the floor jumping around it was wonderful i don't know why that was so funny for me gal <laughs> it's just maybe I it think- was like the Maybe it was a very old man way of saying, um, like, as the kids would say. That was it. I think that yeah. was it. <laughs> we haven't seen anything like that from Mike so far this season. And, and really, he was feeling it that game. The ball was just falling through the hoop for him. And he had a little bit of a mismatch. He attacked, spun, one-footer, fader, Dirk Nowitzki style, and the whole bench just loved it. And that's exactly – I mean – Mike can do a lot of things. He's a pick-and-pop guy, but Coach Dagnall talks about how Mike is just always seems to be in the right place, in the right position on the defensive end, getting in, in the right plays on offense. And it's just really cool to see Mike be rewarded with a really cool play like that, plus a, a career-high six made threes and a season-high 23 points. But, yeah, those are, those are just the two of those types of plays for the Thunder. It just showed that the, the rim really resembled a hula hoop, I would say. It's too close. I mean, look at this, folks. Watch this. What is that? It's when you're on the golf course and you slice it left, but it clanks off the trunk of the tree and caroms right back into the middle of the fairway. Yeah. And then the Muscala, check this step back, folks. Come on, that is classic Dirk Davinsky. Just a little step inside, come back on the left. Put that right knee up. Look at his teammates. Look how excited Shea is for his teammates, folks. One constant for this Thunder group throughout really the entire season, but particularly through this past three-game stretch, 
is that you have seen a constant area of improvement from game to game to game. And it's tangible things that you can see on the stat sheet. And that Coach Dagnall says that they point out in film sessions following each game. And he's been really proud with how his group has been able to apply them to the next contest. And, and Gallo, I think the really good microcosm of this is that Clippers miniseries. You have a team that you play back to back. You get to watch film on them and then turn around and apply those lessons to the exact same team that you just watched filmed on. And the Thunder, I think, did a really good job in this. And a couple of stats here that were really good indicators of this, it was the rebounding numbers and the points in the paint as well. Yeah, minus 19 rebounding in the first game against the Clippers. And I think the Thunder was like plus five in the second game there. So uh, an incredible job of turning that around. Um, As you mentioned, Paris, this is like an incubator for where the Thunder is as an organization right now. You know, the Thunder is playing kind of a different game at the moment, obviously still really competitive, but they're investing in their youth. And part of of investing is being more concerned with the victories within the game as opposed to what the final outcome on the scoreboard says on random regular season night X, you know? And so what, what we got to see was players being much more physical down low, pushing guys off the spot, knocking Serge Ibaka around a little bit more than they did in the first game against the Clippers. You know, we saw a, a greater attention to detail in a variety of different areas of the game against the Clippers. And, You'll notice that there was only a couple guys that really were consistently productive night to night in those games. It was Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, and, and SGA. And it's hard to have that same level of focus, attention, and the ability to rise to the occasion and just perform and shoot the ball well and play well in back-to-back games against the same opponent. And so that was a great test for a lot of these Thunder players to have to try to summon that night to night. And just incredible experience for this young group, like you mentioned, going up against guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, all of these players who are really high caliber, all NBA style players who are going to bring it every single night. But it's a great opportunity for guys like Darius Baisley, Isaiah Roby, and Lou Dort even, Hamadou Diallo, this young group, to keep adding to those experiences and you learn from the first game and you apply it to the second game. One thing that really stood out to me in this series in particular, and we talked about the rebounding numbers, but in game two of the Clippers, Isaiah Roby and Mike Muscala both recorded three offensive rebounds. And in particular, Mike Muscala, if you'll remember Gallo had a couple of plays where he just flew into the lane seemingly (laughs) out of nowhere to, to grab a couple of really important offensive rebounds and get some extra shots up for his team. Those are the little small things that, that you can see taking a step forward, taking the lessons from the last game and then applying them in real time and, 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 and in force in the next game, in the next opportunity. But then you have a game like the, the Portland game where obviously we talked about those first quarters in, in the Clippers games were really, really low energy, low scoring quarters for the Thunder. But you turn that around, and that was something that came up big time in the film session for the Thunder, which was throwing the first punch, making them feel you off the bat, being the aggressors, and not letting them dictate the pace, the tempo, the style of play. Yeah. One other area, Paris, that I'd like to touch on is just SGA and the way that he handled that miniseries against the Clippers. Because the first game he got to the paint over and over and over again. Second game, the Clippers adjust and 
right off the bat, the Clippers had a, a three seconds in the, in the lane defensive uh, technical foul violation. So they kind of let the Thunder know we're willing to accept maybe a point here and there, but we are not going to let Shea get into a rhythm, getting into the paint. We're not going to give him the same type of openings he had the previous game. Shea still got there. He still managed to touch the paint. As a former point guard, what were you seeing from him, Paris, that allowed him to kind of thwart what the, the, the way that the, the Clippers were trying to scheme against him? Uh, well, a couple of things. One was he still had to maintain that level of aggression, right? Like that's exactly what makes him so effective is he has that incredible layup package that he can finish with craftiness around the rim. Okay, you take that away. You still have to maintain a level of aggression, but you have to have some sort of poise and restraint and calm about you to know that, okay, I'm not going to get the exact same looks that there that I had in game one. So it's going to require a couple of multiple efforts here. Maybe the first drive isn't there on my first attack. Okay. Maybe I can kick it out to the three and get the ball back on the swing around on, on the other side of the floor, or maybe I can try to beat the team down on, in transition on defense. It just seemed like that Shea was finding other ways also using his teammates as well to really help kind of manipulate the Clippers defense and find those gaps in different sort of ways while also still, I mean, he does have an incredible uh, arsenal of finishes that you can really use regardless of opponent. So that helps really in these sort of situations, but finding those different areas, playing through the flow of the offense, I think really worked to Shea's favor, using his teammates, using the pace of play to find those openings. Well, how about just coming back to the idea of unpredictability? Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, Paris, Shea passes on about 49% of his drives. That's about as even, even 50-50 split, keeping teams on their toes, not knowing whether Shea is going to try to get all the way to the rim, go up with that floater, or make that kick out pass to somebody else. So Shea's doing a really nice job this season of keeping defenses on their toes, not knowing exactly what he's going to do when he gets to the paint, which is where the Thunder generates all that value on offense, those paint touches. Well, from the rainy Pacific Northwest, the Thunder now closes out its five-game road trip in Phoenix against the Suns, led by Chris Paul. They also have DeAndre Ayton, who has been playing incredibly well over his past four games. Gallo, what's going to be key for this Thunder team coming out of a really great game against Portland and wanting to finish out this road trip strong? Yeah, have to just do a really nice job at the point of attack against Chris Paul. You know, if you switch, he's going to try to attack off the bounce. If you trap, he knows every single way to make that next pass. He knows exactly where the help's coming from. He knows exactly how the, the three guys on the backside of the defense are going to be playing that. If you try to play any other way on that pick and roll, if you hang back in that drop coverage, for example, he's going to just come around and maybe knock down that mid-range jumper. We all saw it. We all saw it last year, Paris. So uh, dealing with that, especially with a very high-level roller in DeAndre Ayton, that's going to be a challenge, a very different challenge than what the Thunder faced in Portland against Damian Lillard, a guy who's got unlimited range but also plays very heavily out of that pick and roll so really nice test I mean this whole road trip you think about Jokic and Murray you think about Kawhi and Paul George you think about Damian Lillard and the kind of variety of characters Carmelo Anthony and his canter in Portland and now you finish up this road trip with a Hall of Famer and Chris Paul and some of these other guys that the Suns are running out there this year and it's 
it's just another great chance for this Thunder team to build up that that Rolodex as we've talked about build up you don't know what a Rolodex is you're way too young for that build up build up your catalog build up your catalog of these different types of players throughout the league that you're going to have to guard night in and night out moving forward in these young players careers and the the Suns who are also going to be a a low turnover team led by Chris Paul who we all know is one of the league's leaders in the top 10 and assist to turnover ratio And you were talking about DeAndre Ayton there. Really, with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton so far this season, have the fifth highest scoring connection. Chris Paul has found DeAndre Ayton for 36 assists so far this season. And like you said, that pick and roll combo is going to be a really good test for this Thunder squad. And particularly with DeAndre Ayton, who over the past four games has really found his stride offensively, has been playing with a lot of force in the paint. He has averaged 23 points and 15 rebounds, shooting 69% from the field over his past four games. So you've got that kind of dichotomy between the really sharp point guard and Chris Paul and a really physical, tough presence in the paint. DeAndre Ayton should be a really good test for this Thunder team, particularly on that defensive end. Around the league, the next couple of days should be interesting as well. Um, emotional, for sure. Uh, we're at, at the kind of the one-year anniversary mark of Kobe Bryant's passing. And we know uh, the relationship that Chris Paul had with Kobe. And so this will certainly be uh, an emotional game for him, for, for players and teams all over the NBA. And Gal, it's a really good segue into our Bless Your Timeline segment today. We should remind listeners that we're recording on Tuesday, January 26th, which is the anniversary of Kobe's passing. And it blessed our timeline today to see the Lakers posted on Instagram in honor of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gigi. And the caption just says, family forever. And we all know, like you mentioned, it's going to be a very emotional few days here for not just for guys like Chris Paul, who had that connection personally with Kobe, but really for the entire league who looked up to the legacy and really the iconic figure who was Kobe Bryant and who was just such a big presence for this league on and off the floor. Yeah, the Lakers said it best. It's family. Um, and they were a huge part of the NBA family, the Bryants. Um, it, Gianna, obviously, such a, a young soul that was lost as well. So we'll all be thinking about the Lakers, thinking about people that were close to the Bryants and the entire NBA family over the next couple of days. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later.